Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Sip and Scholar, <laughs> a podcast where we uncork new knowledge. Today, I am here with the best person ever, Dr. Young Choi, who is an assistant professor of early childhood education. And um, I'm also joined by some soju because <laughs> Dr. Young Choi is Korean, and I was like, we got to have this. Yes. I've never actually had it, so I don't know if it's really? good. We had it before, oh, my birthday. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's good. That's good? Thanks. Okay. Yeah, thanks. That's true. I, I have had it before. Yes. She did kind of cheat a little bit and put water on her glass. No, but... I drank it off. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I met Dr. Young Choi in 2020 when she moved to Las Vegas. And the first time I um, talked to her, it was virtually because, of course, 2020. And she told me she had a son. And I had just given birth. So I was like, oh, my God, we need to like schedule a play date. Until I realized that her son's 20 years old. <laughs> she looks my age. <laughs> but, no, but yes. I appreciate that. Yeah. This is really true. Is it good? Delicious. Yeah, yeah. cheers. Yay, cheers, yeah. cheers. <laughs> and we've also had so many great opportunities to work together. We are on a grant together, the Futuro Project Grant, which is great to work with her on that one. I would love for you to talk a little bit about the work we're doing in the grant. And also, um, as a mom, AI... And, you know, she's an assistant professor of early childhood. As a mom, I was, I've been always asking questions, right? Because I feel like you, and you always have the best answers. And so a lot of the questions that I'm posing today come, I think, not only from being a scholar, but also being a mom and having that opportunity that not a lot of us have to talk to someone who specializes on our precious little ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Of yeah, course. I, you know, I was looking forward to it. Oh, she was. <laughs> She's here out of um, obligation. <laughs> uh, oh, this is delicious. This is delicious, yes. This so is it's a really little good. sweet, but I like it. Awesome. It's better than shot, I think. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm trying. It's 13% alcohol per mm. volume. I. Wow. <laughs> you can't taste it. Okay, so I want to know a little bit about how your career started in early childhood education. Mm, I was a, a part-time instructor at the university when I was in Korea. And um, I, I taught really just a... Uh, uh, general English and prepare for TOEFL, TOEIC, things like that in the university. Because uh, in Korea, English is a big deal, mm -hmm. still, and was. So everyone mandatory to take a, you know, introduction English. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of opportunity after I got a TESOL master degree. I got a chance to work with, um, you know, university students. I actually came to the United States, just got another master about ESL because I thought I'm going to go back mm -hmm. uh, to Korea and, you know, continue being a part-time instructor or something like yeah. that. Uh, but I got greedy <laughs> during my master in Texas A&M University. And then I was kind of fascinated about how my uh, learning English, mm -hmm. the journey of it, and how my 
children, uh, my child, my son, how he kind of, uh, kind of create his own journey learning English. He was actually 10 years old when we first came. And so I kind of fascinated about different learning English. Uh, different age and different environment because I was uh, completely in the academic area, so my English was just uh, like a classroom English. Mm -hmm. My son's is completely more uh, everyday communication with friends, so I got I kind of fascinated about those uh, different journey, and then uh, when I decide to PhD uh, study. Um, Okay, maybe I want to learn more about children's uh, English language learning. So that's how it started. And then, unfortunately, I got a job at the preschool, university-based lab school at the University of Buffalo during my PhD study. So I worked in the preschool. I was a preschool teacher for two years in the university-based lab school and had started classrooms. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I think, you know, you said something that uh, resonated with me, and I think it also resonates with a lot of other people in our field where we come to the U.S. to do a Ph.D., and then we end up not, you know, yeah. with the intention of going back, right? <laughs> yeah. But so many opportunities end up coming, and then um, it's it's really nice to, well, to have you as a colleague, so I'm very happy that you ended up at Nevada. <laughs> The PhD is so much commitment. It I don't is. know. I'm not recommend to anyone. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> it is a lot of commitment. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it definitely is a lot of commitment. But at the end, you know, it does pay off. And now, you know, we get really? to work together. I think so. Yeah. yeah. We're working. I think, you know, I think about like the opportunities that we've had work, working with the grant together. And um, Dr. Young Shoei is the principal investigator of. And a $2.1 million grant that got awarded about early childhood education with multilingual students. So we collaborate on that grant, and those opportunities are, are you know, unique in, exactly. in yes. higher ed. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I hope we kind of make a positive impact on children mm -hmm. and families yeah. and teachers also. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, since I just mentioned the grant, some of the grant activities and purpose of the grant. So the purpose is, uh, uh, you know, to improve uh, early literacy mm -hmm. uh, because the teachers are struggling. A lot of English learners population in the United States. I'll just call English learner, but I prefer multilingual mm -hmm. uh, or uh, immersion bilingual. Those children, uh, the increase of number of those children in the classroom actually teachers because they don't have enough support and material from the district usually, and then uh, they don't know what to do with those children. They want to help, but they don't know the, what's the best practice yeah. would be. So I, we want to help those uh, teachers mm -hmm. for their family and for the children because they will be our future. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. so that's the purpose of our uh, uh, main purpose. And we will provide a four times of professional development a year and year-long uh, coaching, a uh, lot of material and bilingualism, second language acquisition, we are going to introduce to the 
teachers. And also science of reading. That means uh, what's the base, uh, uh, evidence-based practice, already proven, uh, interdisciplinary research. So we're going to provide uh, what, what works for mm -hmm. the children, how they learn to read. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, yes. that's I. I'm. I think this is an amazing um, goal that we have, and we've all, we've been on the planning year. We're starting now with all the other grant activities, but just on the planning year, I think there's been such great impact in the communities and with families. We've been able to give away so many books, thousands of books, which yes. is really yeah. awesome, right. and connected to the community in uh, many ways. Um, Dr. Young and I were also on the news. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'll put the d description link below. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh my god, that's funny. So um, this is a question that comes mostly from me being a mom, and this is a question that I've asked you before. Um, but the question is, when I'm looking at programs um, for to put my daughter in, right, or to put your child in, when you're looking for those programs, what are some important questions that parents should be asking, for example, directors or teachers? So for me, what you kind of uh, uh, prioritize and what the center prioritizes is supposed to align. Okay. If you want your child to have a good social relationship and play-based curriculum, mm -hmm. you need to find the center kind of align with what you believe. If you are prioritize uh, your uh, religion, then mm -hmm. you're probably going to find the kind of uh, same religion-based uh, um, school. Yeah. So the, what you, uh, what your belief, I think that you need to question yourself first uh, based on how old your child is, like a mm -hmm. three-year-old, a four-year-old, probably just before kindergarten would be different, you know, you want your child to prepare for the kindergarten. But before that, then do you want uh, usually a lot of a uh, play-based curriculum, mm -hmm. early childhood education, you could find. Uh, but you also could find a different kind of detail about um, exploration about art mm -hmm. or uh, going to some community event or field trip or other variety of experience if the center can provide or you like to have that kind of experience. So find what you want for your child mm -hmm. and then find a center aligned with your belief. Okay, that's those are really good, good things to look out for. And like you mentioned, we really do need to start um, with maybe making a list of what our priorities are, right? I remember when I was looking for one, um, I toured one, and in the tour, they told me that, granted, this was a daycare, and they told me that they would start um, with geometry in first grade, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm sure that for some parents that seems ideal, but I'm like, no, I kind of want my girl to, you know, my daughter to, to have a more... Um, I don't want to use the word pleasant, but a better introduction to mathematics yeah. than... Hi, <laughs> you <know>. Rachel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it should be like fun, right? Yeah. Like at this stage, for me, I prioritize playing, right? I prioritize those social skills um, that I think are, are um, very important. But at the same time, you see other, other children who are going through other programs and that, you know, 
at least for me, it becomes more of like, oh, should I be looking out for these things or, or, or academically? So, mm-hmm. for example, academically, what are some um, things that you should be looking for? So, uh, you mentioned about, you know, developmentally appropriate yeah. practice, like for a three-year-old uh, introducing geometry. It could be really fun activity, but if the, teach, uh, the, uh, the center's approach is about with the uh, you know, the worksheet, yeah. are you okay with it? You yeah. know, so the looking at the approach, we can do geometry with a lot of different shapes, Yeah. play with the shape, you know, jumping on the shape, yeah. things like that, yeah. but you don't want, or you want with the worksheet, or yeah. all the time with the worksheet. Yeah. Worksheet might be good to how to hold pencil, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, but you don't want every time with the worksheet. So yeah. just thinking about their, how they approach to learn, mm-hmm. learning. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good um, recommendation. I, I mean, a good thing to look forward to, seeing what are the things, or maybe even observing a class, mm-hmm. see how the students yeah. are engaging. Yeah. And, and then also looking at the artifacts that you bring your child to bring into mm. the home. Okay, we're back. We had a little bit of a fan <laughs> emergency. <laughs> <laughs> this ring light really generates some I heat, really, y'all. Oh really, really, yeah, gosh, and we feel my drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so we were talking. We mentioned that there's um, it's important for for you to basically look at what are the most important things that you want your child to take away and also to look at the artifacts that they're bringing home um maybe looking at the mission of the place for me one of the things that i really looked at and more and more this is something that's getting is being hard to find are small classroom sizes so with that what would you say is the ideal classroom size that you would want your child to be in so there is a guideline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, NACI is a National Association for Education of Young Children. It's most uh, representative or popular kind of uh, association. So NACI recommend uh, um, one one teacher, one adult, and four children. Uh, infant case. Okay. For to- toddlers, one to six ratio. For Pre, uh, pre-K is a 1 to 10 ratio. So if one classroom had a, like, classroom had a one adult and 10 children, or two adults, like one lead, uh, lead uh, teacher and one assistant teacher and 20 children, that actually fit the ratio, recommended oh, okay. ratio. But uh, there is also recommended a classroom, you know, the space, okay. physical space. Like square footage. But... Uh, I don't think a lot of uh, classrooms are kind of fit that way, and also it's hard to find how you measure. Okay. You know, so you I th- guess it's more yeah. like uh, how you organize a classroom. So what I'm saying is, there the actually uh, research said that there's uh, how to organize a classroom is more important than the physical size of a space of the classroom. Okay. So it's more structured, you know, different center, and also music and music center and library should not be, you know, they're side by side, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. children need to read in a kind of a quiet place, but you, you don't want like a music place right 
next to the library. So those kind of intentional mindful arrangement would be great to look at. And if they have different centers, because of uh, different experience, experience, children need to do it. It's everything about exploration and then learning and play with it. That's actually really helpful for the young children to learn and mm -hmm. develop. So different centers, that's why we need science and math and like a play, uh, pretend play and also library and also whole classroom kind of circle area. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I think that's another good thing to look for when you are um, a parent looking or, you know, a family member or some more caregiver looking at um, where to put your child would be the, how classrooms are arranged. And I hadn't thought of that. So um, I think a good question for a teacher could be, like, can you, you know, can you give me a tour of the classroom? Mm -hmm. And then you can look at what the centers look like. Yeah. You can even specifically ask, do you have a reading center? Can yeah. I look at the books that yes. you have there? And also ask, uh, you know, what's the purpose of this arrangement? Mm -hmm. Do you have any, you know, the purpose of this arrangement? They might have children with a disability, so that's why they make, a, you know, the hallway bigger than normal, so, or the wheelchair accessible to mm -hmm. the classroom, things like that. So they might have a different kind of a purpose or a goal in that classroom arrangement. So my question is, if you, if, you know, there's these guidelines by NACI, um, about the, the student to teacher ratio. Is it mandatory for schools to follow that ratio? Uh, yes. Okay. So the, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong, uh, the square footage is not, uh, is not mandatory, I guess. Okay. But when you get the inspection, you need to have teachers. Okay. Like, yes. And then teachers should not, or the children should not be uh, alone without teacher and supervision. So that's why we always need assistant teacher or adult, just in case the teachers are like uh, going to the bathroom with the child or something mm -hmm. like that happens. The children are supposed to have someone to supervise them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So is that, I'm wondering now, like, are those requirements, because we, you know, there's a lot of facilities that are private facilities. Mm -hmm. Are they also, do they also have to, no. they don't, right? No. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Especially home care. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, my daughter currently goes to a home care, and what you're talking is not what she's experiencing, yeah. but, <laughs> but she's two, and it's, yeah. it's like I'm leaving her with her tia, basically, mm -hmm. right, like an aunt, so I know she's in great hands, yeah. but um, I have toured other places where that are private because, um, you know, we don't have universal pre-K. It's time we do, though, <laughs> and those private places that I've been looking at, I definitely either see more of a teacher, uh, a, a student student number that t than teacher, or maybe those considerations not being looked at. So I mm -hmm. think it is important for all of us to to at least know what the base guidelines are and to. Yeah, you yeah. can visit the nacy.org. Uh, you know, the uh, heard from other parents that that's a good tip, but it's opinion piece. So. As a parent, I recommend you to find uh, um, what's each, 
established guideline mm -hmm. or what their expert recommendation are. Yeah. So don't sway by just opinion. You know what I'm saying? Opinion is important, but it's opinion. Mm -hmm. You know. So yeah. yeah. Looking at the nacy.org uh, will be good. They have a really easy reading everything recommendation, what to do in the classroom or at home. So it's easy okay. to read everything. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So um, the next question that I have for you, I think, comes from from also this similar discussion of what should a, a child be doing in um, preschool. And the reason I ask this is because, for example, I told you about this, um, this private pre-K daycare that I toured, and they were doing geometry in pre-K, right? And I also toward others that are focusing on reading at a very, very early, like a two and a half year olds are, are starting, they're starting to teach them how to read and teaching them all these things, right? But we know that some of these skills are actually not um, recommendable to be taught at such an early age. Like, um, for example, the math example, you can find ways to teach it that make it more appropriate, but we really should be focusing that at a later stage. Same thing with letters. Should a pre-K child be taught their ABCs, one, two, three, four, fives, and um, how to write their name? Like, what are the skills that we should be focusing on at this stage? So, uh, first of all, I will like uh, emphasize every child develop differently. Mm -hmm. They're developed mental phase pay phase pace yeah pace mm -hmm. pace is a different some child develop really fast and walk you know walk by himself or herself really you know early like eight months some child start working you know 15 months so they're speaking also the developmental is really different. So every child supposed to be analyzed by her own developmental pace, not compared to, you know, like, oh, uh, a child next door is mm -hmm. far better. So mindful about that because it will make you nervous. It did, yes, yes. It will make you nervous. But if if you gonna you if you are nervous about that, you definitely need to con you know the talk to the teacher or the doctors. But I know you have that question. So uh, the preschool, um, the children actually have ability to learn everything. Mm -hmm. That's why we are saying the children can speak three languages, four languages. As long as they expose that in that environment all enough, right? So that's the same as math and language, like ABC letters, I believe. I'm not saying sit down doing the math problem, that's appropriate, but if we provide that opportunity in a playful way, in an engaging way, then I think that's a completely okay mm -hmm. to teach. And some three-year-old children, uh, the, the, the letters, for example, you mentioned the song and ABC one to five. Yes, three mm -hmm. completely get, they are capable of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then like play with the shapes. Yes, that's also appropriate. Uh, what I'm trying to kind of uh, focusing on, what's a developmentally appropriate rather than, um, okay, like a geometry is really scary, 
but play with the shape is not scary, right? So the approach to the learning, I think you need to look at that. Okay. Yeah, not like uh, some kids are really good at ABC and the, all the sound all enough. Some are struggling more. It's okay. Mm-hmm. If someone struggle more, we provide more scaffolding, more opportunity to play with it. Mm-hmm. So yes, looking at the developmental level and at the same time, don't scare about introducing new academic skill. And mm-hmm. we'll see how your child take it. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of lower down if your child struggle, and if your child are really good at that, then you can move forward. Yeah, yeah. But like introduce it developmentally appropriate way, uh, so your your child is not gonna. My God, I'm not gonna do mom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so developmentally, the, what I'm saying is a playful, yeah. engaging way, not like okay. You're going to sit down. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. That's not good for mm-hmm. them to expose to the academic skills yeah. because they're going to really kind of, my God, stress out. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think for us, we need to, um, you know, that play, for me, the play-based learning is was very important when looking for care. And because um, I think Part of the reason I, this question came about is because I do see that we accelerate kids too much nowadays, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's like this pressure to go, 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 go. And you need to learn all of this stuff at such a young, early age that it becomes almost um, like a race. Mm-hmm. And kids can get burned out mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So that's something also to consider. We yeah. want our child to learn, but in a stress-free environment, not that they're coming back home, um, you know, crying or feeling upset mm-hmm. or um, feeling overwhelmed, all these other feelings that can come um, when we try to push them a little too hard too soon. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, in Korea, we we start everything early and, yeah. and my son did not like, uh, I'm not going to learn English, mom. <laughs> like he said that <laughs> he hate to go to any Hagwon private institute. So... Uh, everything, yes, like you said, everything is so competitive yeah. and like academic is the best way you could do. Then a lot mm-hmm. of child children will kind of uh, yeah stressed out. So that's yeah. a good point. Yes. And also, I mean, I am a mother raising a child in the social media world where we're seeing so many parent influencers now. And I think that would be a great paper to write, Yon, just saying, <laughs> like, how do... Like parent influencers, how are they actually influencing the way that we raise our own children? There's many pages out there that offer really good advice, but there's other pages that offer terrible advice, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when you don't know, you can take this advice or compare your child to others on social media and it becomes this circle of almost Mm -hmm. toxicity, right? Look Mm -hmm. at this child is doing all these things or this or, or other things like this family's traveling all the time with their child and I can't even leave my door without my child throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Me, for example, right? <laughs> or this, look at this child, two and a half, and they're reading and my child doesn't even know how to hold the book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And I think now with social media, it's becoming even more and more um, of a of a compare mm-hmm. between children, mm-hmm. which is not good. We mm-hmm. know that we, yeah, like you good. mentioned. Yeah. We actually talk to our student in the university classroom. You know, 
the students are really good at finding information, but they are not good at like which is the good information to yeah. trust. Yeah. It's actually like apply to everyone in this mm-hmm. society because it's easy to find uh, information out there mm-hmm. online and easy to look at what others are doing in you know, YouTube and everywhere. Yeah. But we need to find the way, what's the best way yeah. for me and the, what's the best information for me and for my child. Mm-hmm. So if you hear or uh, watch something and then you are interested in that then search you know like uh, the academic journal or research-based uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, studies so you could find okay this is a good information I can take it or this information might need more time to approve get approved yeah things like that yeah, yeah. that's true and a lot of us who don't have for example access to like an academic journal, right? Um, we're not telling you go ahead and buy a $20 article. That's insane. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So. But one thing that you can do, you can look for these websites like NACI. There's also other um, reliable organizations that publish mm-hmm. free and open access. Yeah, usually org, like organization, org.org yeah. has a mm-hmm. really good information, trustworthy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely look into that, do your, um, you know, do your research, mm-hmm. ask others what they think. Um, I, I honestly sometimes get um, emails from people, from like community members asking me their opinion, what mm-hmm. I think about something. So you feel, feel free to reach out to, to an expert in that field that lives in your community. So um, the next question that I have for you, Dr. Young Choi, is about um, a concern that I actually reached out a lot of times to you with, right? So if a parent has a concern about a language delay, what is the first step that they should follow or what should they do? Um, I think first of all, you need to talk to the teachers. So because a teacher and parents will be the person who see your child the most, yeah. right? Most of the time. So, and then especially the teacher could compare with other children. The reason the comparison is about like, uh, we know that there is a developmental differences between the children, but if it is a significant delay or mm-hmm. not, we could see that. So ask your teacher about that. If teacher agrees with, uh, definitely reach out to the doctors about it and diag- get the diagnosis about the delay. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's it. That's yeah. Because uh, you don't want to unnecessarily worry about anything, you mm-hmm. know? So who... Yeah, ex- the teacher is the first. If it is a school district, uh, there are psychologists that will be there. Definitely need to talk to them uh, and then go from there. School, mm-hmm. if it is a school, not the preschool, you know, the private preschool, if it is a CCSD preschool, they have a good referral kind of a process. So they follow those process. Yeah, there is a referral process, and there is, um, I think that's a really good good recommendation to talk to the teacher, and sometimes you also have to advocate for your oh, child, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I think I, when I wrote this question, it's because I've actually reached out to you many times with the concern that my daughter might have a language delay, and um, 
it's funny because I knew this information, but as a parent, sometimes we're a little irrational. You know, you told me she's bilingual. Their bilingual children take a little longer. And I knew this, but even knowing this, right, and having a PhD in language acquisition, it was still something that I worried about because that's your child, right? And you have those worries. Um, I'm happy to announce she's two and a half, and this is when now her language have started spiking, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes. But I was the type of parent yeah. that was looking on social media, other yeah. parents with a one and a half year old saying three, four <laughs> sentences. And here's my mom, yeah. my, my daughter, not, not talking yes, like that, yes. right? So the bilingual children... Uh, some bilingual children, like uh, from the beginning, they say two different languages in a different like context, like yeah. school at home, really simultaneously. But some child might take a longer be- if it is like a completely different situation. Like uh, home is completely uh, like a Korean speaking. The school is completely English speaking. Then child need to figure it out. Okay, I know a car in English, but what am I saying a car at home? Mm-hmm. So need those connection and like alignment. They need to figure it out. They also need to figure it out. What context? What should I say? Which language? Mm-hmm. So those things, once they all the schemata actually connected, they will spit it out so many different ways. Yeah. So there is a little, they, some kids a little more time than the other kids. Mm-hmm. So just uh, pay attention and keep doing what you are doing, like a conversation, read a book with them and engage with them and if you see differences like different for example if your child are not like eye contact with you or not eye contact with other people they might be a signal so you might ask us mm-hmm. some help or uh, experts opinion but as long as your child is good with the interaction with the people and does not does not have any like a specific symptom then you might just uh, take a time mm-hmm. and we'll see but if you worry uh, then definitely go take a you know ask a help and experts opinion I don't think that's a bad thing also yeah, yeah. okay awesome thank you so the I only have two more questions yes. left and um, the question that I have now Ask about ways that parents can advocate for their child when they know they need more support from their school. And I think this is something that um, I read a lot about in, in, for example, like social media, right? On um, parent support groups. Like I think my, my son or daughter or my nephew, et cetera, um, needs more support in X area and they're not giving it at school. What are some ways that you can push or ask for more advocacy for your child? So keep in mind, uh, you definitely have a right to ask support, mm-hmm. but also teacher has uh, 20 different children yeah. in their classroom. I want, I think the best way is doing like a teacher and parents conference or set up a meeting with the teacher, like a quiet time, not like a, when you drop off your child or yeah. when you pick up your child. That time is a really like a casual conversation, not yeah. deep conversation. So set up a, a meeting with the teacher and uh, 
say about your concern and when you need there will be great you your child have this type of support and ask a teacher what can she or he do for your child other parents and teacher we have a same goal for the children, their development, and their learning, we have the same goal. We are not the enemy. Or yeah. So keep in mind that but teacher has 20 different children also. Yeah. So if you have a, like honest conversation about that and then teacher provide a certain solution or support, then I want you to, as a parent, to do the same way at home because a homeschool connection is the most critical. If school does a way of behavioral intervention, but the home does a different, completely different way of behavioral guidance, then that's not going to affect it at all. Mm -hmm. So ask what teachers are teacher doing at home in the classroom and then try to do support better in, mm-hmm. at home also. For example, uh, learning letters. If yeah. the teacher actually try to support your child learn the letters, all letters, then you do at the same time at home, then it, it's going to really excellate, you know? So homeschool connection is important and have a conversation with the teacher and mindful about teacher have 20 mm-hmm. year, twenty different children about that. So, uh, so that's I think a really good just a, the beginning of the mm-hmm. how it uh, you advocate your child. So yes, yeah, and I think one something that I've learned a lot about and it's through working with this grant is that um, even there, there's a lot of. Organ- local organizations that support children with different with different uh, um, purposes and objectives in mind. So, for example, if you want more support in literacy for your children, a great local organization here in Las Vegas is Spread the Word Nevada, right? And this is an organization that works, that gives free books, free monthly books to families. And um, these books come with recommendations on how to read them effectively. They have their own private Facebook group where that gives more support to parents to do that. But there's also other organizations. Um, what was the, the other ones that work directly with, for example, children with disabilities? PEP. PEP. And that's the Nevada PEP. Do you mm-hmm. remember what PEP stands for? Just, it's not... Oh, does like, it sound for Yeah, it's a okay. PEP. Yeah. Family Engagement Empowerment, something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Nevada PEP. N-V-P-E-P dot org. Yes, yeah. that's another great organization um, to reach out to if you have concern about a disability, yeah. right? Yes, they have a lot of a strategy at home also. Mm-hmm. And you could also ask teachers. Yes, yeah. ask teachers, what can I do? What can I support you better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. And I had mentioned a couple um, weeks back on another podcast about the Right Care Clinic that we have mm-hmm. here in Nevada that's free and does these assessments for free for families. So there's definitely other venues if you might feel like you need more support than your teacher might be able to provide because to Dr. Young Shoy's point, they have 20, 20 students, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a little harder to give that individualized attention that your child might need or that you feel like your child needs to, to have at the time. Okay, 
So the last question that I have for you, um, what are some resources that you recommend for parents or for teachers to be aware of when they're, um, when they're trying to learn more about this stage of their child's life? So we just mentioned about NACI mm-hmm. and the bottom path. I think that's most accessible and easy to use at home and for parents. Um, think that's most important to yeah. website i don't want it to have like a tens of different and then don't, <laughs> don't know how to use it so start over there and if you have a specific kind of a question about social emotional mm-hmm. then there is a social emotional kind of a learning because these days the social emotional is so critical yeah uh, there is a castle um uh, I, I forgot what stands for, but the castle, uh, it's a social emo- emotional learning. If you search castle, they have a lot of information also. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And why, well, you mentioned social emotional learning, and I'm curious to know why, well, what is social emotional learning and why is it so important for kids to know this? So these days, uh, like, a, like a, your child, uh, was born 2020, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So when she first went to daycare, was a like a 2020 first mm-hmm. or 20, or some parents keep their children longer enough, yeah. right? So 2022. So the first time they see people, and especially the COVID time, was a lockdown. It wasn't a, just a stay at home it wasn't really like uh, we didn't see any people out there there was no social content like uh, going to the supermarket or like say hello to random people there was no that kind of like Mm -hmm. event at all so it's a different like they grew up kind of a couple first couple of years most important years without any human contact yeah so there was a very uh, narrow down their social emotional skill because there was just a parent or yeah. sibling or uh you know uh, grandparents and things like that so having with the children with the other peers is important for social skill to develop um we says about social emotional is really foundational uh, during the early years because it's a perspective taking so how i feel how you feel we need yeah. to understand that so that's why then like uh, if i understand why you're upset during mm-hmm. play then we could do problem solving or we could do you know the talk it out yeah so the play is important that way uh, the children solve the problem and understand others feeling mm-hmm. what others are doing but a lot of children these days a lack of that opportunity even older children you know the covid definitely hit hard mm-hmm. they did not the first thing they like a like Lauren, okay, mute yourself, <laughs> unmute yourself. <laughs> like they literally hard to look at really pierce eyes and yeah. then like, how, how are you? Or like doing a play. Mm-hmm. So those missing opportunity, I think are really critical yeah. for those children. So think about it, all the uh, kind of a good relationship actually predict what you're going to 
establish your social relationship mm-hmm. later. Yeah. So if you don't have, or if your child struggle with it now, mm-hmm. you actually need to talk about it. Uh, start with uh, how I feel, how you feel, understand the feeling, yeah. and then give them a language about mm-hmm. emotional literacy. So I'm happy because I blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sad because of blah, blah, blah. And then like kind of demonstrate uh, how you feel and then elicit what they are feeling, you yeah. know. And then those feeling kind of understanding others' feeling can help the children. Oh, if I do this way, some others get upset or mm-hmm. I'm making that person sad. Mm-hmm. So understand the feeling is really important to yeah. communication. And I think that's one thing that as um, parents you can really work on in your home, right? Yeah. Like teaching children to name feelings. Sometimes the reason why a child has a tantrum is because they don't know or they're not able to have the abilities to name what they're feeling. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And I've been in classrooms where um, a first grader is so frustrated that I've seen first graders grab this a box full of pencils and just throw it against the mm-hmm. wall and scream and all do all these things. And this is where, where social-emotional learning comes mm-hmm, into play mm-hmm. because for that child... Um, he was feeling so frustrated that he wasn't able to express that frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, so he resorted to physical, yeah. um, you know, yeah. physical actions. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think it is very important is when your child is having um, a hard time is being able to name those feelings. Mm-hmm. You're feeling sad. Yes. You're feeling frustrated. Yes. I see that you're you're very happy right now. Exactly. And um, I I even have this book that I've used with my daughter and it's called Unmasking Feelings. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those um, flip books that on one page, there's the child smiling Mm -hmm. and the other page, the child has a mask on Mm -hmm. because of COVID, right? So you needed to be able to say, figure it out. Yeah. Figure out how do you think this child is Uh feeling? Because during that time you couldn't see anyone's face. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, the, um, the social uh, emotional kind of, uh, Expression is uh, sometimes uh, some culture kind of prohibited, like yeah. uh, especially Korea, uh, you know, the boys don't cry yeah. or like, uh, you know, there is a certain gender stereotypical, like, uh, you know, the kind of, you don't do that, you yeah. know, girls don't do that or boys don't do that. But uh, I think these days, uh, social, emotional, and express my feeling, mm-hmm. understand others' feeling, is a critical because um, we've been uh, really spend a lot of time with online, and we somehow missing those importance of, like teach or express by myself to you yeah. or to you to others. We kind of uh, missing those uh, kind of opportunities so Mm -hmm. teach them you know how you feel and why you feel that way and also the children we you know in preschool classroom we said use your word but 
some kids that might not have words. Yeah. Yes. So even just simple, happy, sad, uh, if they don't really explicitly talk, they don't know what's uh, happy and mm-hmm. sad mm-hmm. because they just like, uh, you know, assume is this a happy? Yeah. Is this a when she said sad? Is this a sad? So explicitly teach about the whole the language about it and identify it. That's a big step for the yeah. young children. And then go from there, you know, like uh, you can do much more complex feeling, yeah, mm-hmm. overwhelming, like yeah. uh, things like that. So yes. Yeah, that's, real, that's a really good recommendation. And I think, um, like you mentioned, using books I, I mean using books in general it can be really easy because every ch- children's books are different like um, images with face in them and I remember the last night I was reading this book to my daughter and it's about a red hen and the red hen is very mad at one page <laughs> and you can see the hen be like mm. and I was like oh my god how do you think this hen is feeling <laughs> she was like she's mad I was like yeah she's mad <laughs> so so that can be another way to to introduce um, emotions mm. So um, those were all the questions that I had. We are almost done. (laughs) (laughs) My my last question is, if any of our viewers have any questions or they would like to reach you, I know you're not big on social media, (laughs) so what are some ways that they could get in contact with you? Email me, please. Email? Yeah. Okay. And what's your email of of preference to share? (laughs) School email. Your school email? Yeah. It's young. Dr. Choi at <laughs> nsc.edu. Young.choi yeah. nsc.edu. Yes. yes. Perfect. I'll put yeah. it down on the <laughs> description box. Please spam her with emails. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank okay. you so Thanks. much, friends. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Yay. It was fun. This yes. was delicious, y'all. You delicious. need to try this. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Bye. <laughs>